Welcome to the Full Potential Podcast. I am your host, Nick Wagner Sr. And every week, I interview guests that share career stories, ideas, and experiences to empower and inspire people to reach their full potential. If you enjoy the episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. Welcome everyone, Nick Wagner Sr. Welcome to another episode of the Full Potential Podcast. I'm thrilled to be here with you tonight, Sunday night, eight o'clock Eastern time. Uh, Joy is, I think, three hours behind, so she's uh, the afternoon for her on the West Coast, but thrilled to be here. And uh, every Sunday night, uh, we, we bring to you an amazing guest to talk about their career journey. And the interesting thing about, the interesting thing about our guest tonight with Joy, and, and Joy will, will introduce herself in a second, is how a passion project really has turned into your career, Joyce. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about leaving a very successful corporate job to go run your own nonprofit, which seems like very scary to a lot of people, but you made that leap this year. So we're going to talk about that. And I think and the other really important thing we're going to talk about besides your career is this topic of, of mental health and specifically maternal mental health, which is probably something that many of my audience um, you know, audience members have probably not heard about before. We all, we all know about mental health, but we're going to talk about what that is like for a woman that um, is pregnant or just gave birth, which I think would be really interesting. So, uh, so we, we do this, you know, Joy, people always ask me like, why do I, why do I do this every Sunday night? And it's my way of giving back because my hope is that people can hear inspirational career stories like yours, especially early career professionals that don't really know what they want to do with their life and their career and their job. And they can hear from someone like yourself and be like, wow, like that's really, that's really cool what Joy did or how Joy handled this situation or how Joy learned from that. And that is my hope is, is why we do this. And I think, you know, Joy, with everyone really struggling, a lot of people struggling right now um, because a lot of people have lost their jobs. My hope is that, you know, those that are open to work and watch things like this and be inspired on Sunday night to hopefully get some ideas. So I really appreciate you making time. So Joy, Joy Burkhardt, welcome to the Full Potential Podcast. And if you could share a little bit about yourself with my guests, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, great. Well, um, it's great to be here, Nick. And I am appreciative, so appreciative of what you're doing for young uh, people entering their careers and also um, for what you've taught me around leadership and the work that we were able to do just briefly at Cigna, but it really um, resonated with me. So thank you for having me. And it's great to be here to help give back as well. A little bit about me, it's like hard to, to sum things up, but um, I am in my mid forties. I'm gonna start there. I'm a mother of two kids um, and that's not always easy. I'm gonna, gonna say that straight up, including um, or especially right now, with the struggles that so many of us are facing with COVID and lack of school and childcare um, and concerns about our own kids' well-being. Um, and I also have the privilege of leading this great movement for mothers around mental health and also helping them engage in our political process and passing um, policy that supports motherhood. So that's me in a nutshell. There's more to it, which I um, hope, and I'm excited to tell you a little bit more about that journey tonight. No, we will we will definitely dive into that, and uh, and I look, I hear you on the the how difficult it is to be a parent right now, and I know we're going to talk a lot about mental health tonight, and I think everything, especially with COVID, a lot of people's mental health is is a challenge right now, and that includes us that are parents trying to parent our kids. I actually told my son today, son today, that I want to be a better dad to him because I, I've been so stressed out, and I feel like. You, you take it out in your kids, right? So, so we'll talk about this. But 
So why don't we, I, I want to, before we dive into your career, Joy, and, and everything about it, I just want you to tell everyone what is Mom 2020, right? So what is this nonprofit that, 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 that you started nine years ago that, that you lead? I want to just kick off with that because I want to then take people through the journey of how you ended up running a nonprofit uh, in your mid-40s focused on you know, mental health for mothers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, our mission is to close gaps in maternal mental health. And Nick, you mentioned some of your listeners know a lot about or may know, of course, about mental health um, and, and just how uh, many people are impacted by mental health disorders, anxiety, um, depression, um, PTSD, OCD, something we don't talk enough about, um, the range of disorders, not just severe mental health disorders. Um, but mothers are not immune. And for so long, um, there was this notion that because women wanted to give birth and were meant to give birth, um, often want to give birth, I should clarify, not everyone um, does, but that somehow we were immune to mental health disorders. And in fact, it's one of the most vulnerable times uh, of a woman's life. And women are more likely than men to suffer from mental health disorders anyway. But um, this is a very vulnerable time and uh, up to one in five women will suffer from a maternal mental health disorder during pregnancy, which we're not immune during pregnancy either. And often we only talk about the postpartum period and we only talk about depression. Um, and there's a range of disorders. Anxiety is actually the most common and it confuses women often to, to hear about postpartum depression and think, well, boy, I'm pregnant. I'm not um, in the postpartum and I don't think I'm depressed. I'm just so anxious. I can't sleep. My heart is racing. I'm worried. Um, I'm angry. You know, these are signs of, of anxiety versus um, depression. And often I should clarify too, because I think some men might be listening that men are not immune either. We're here to talk about mothers and we're really focused on sort of where we can stop the bleeding um, and mothers we believe is, is where we need to start. doesn't mean that there shouldn't be more work to be done. Um, and we're really focused on the health delivery system. So closing gaps. Uh, if we're all paying for insurance premiums, for example, um, personally, our employers, society, for those who need help, the benefits that were sold should be available and we should be diagnosed if we have trouble. And that's not common. Uh, even with maternal mental health disorders, we're often um, not di diagnosed because of our multiple reasons, but one of the big ones is our bifurcated mental health system. And this is a nice segue into like why, um, you know, why why me and why the, the portion of my career journey we'll talk about here in a moment sort of led up to, to my wanting to do some of this work, uh, among other things as well. And, and Joy, we will absolutely share your LinkedIn profile with in, in our show description so people can get in touch with you as well as your website so people can get in touch with your organization. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to just go out on a limb here and, and when think to myself, when you were a little Joy and you were like seven or eight years old, this was probably not at the top of your mind on what you wanted to do when you grew up. So I, I always start, you know, kind of on the journey with my guests on what was that thing that when you were growing up as a kid you wanted to do when uh, when you grew up? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first I'll say, um, I think like the women listening, many of us dreamed of being a mother. So that, that first and foremost, when I was seven or eight, that's what I thought about when I wanted to grow up. And I thought my, I wanted my name to be Kelly, which has nothing to do with motherhood, but that's coming to mind too. Right. So you make up names and you think about how many babies you're going to have and what that dream life might look like. 
And so I knew I wanted to be a mother. Um, I didn't know how many kids and, and what their names would be, but for some reason I felt like that name Kelly resonated with me. And now I work with a Kelly and have a Kelly in my life um, on my family's side through my husband as well. So um, it's funny how you manifest things in, in those ways. Um, but my dream job as I got a little bit older was to become a high school principal. Um, and that's what I knew is sort of leadership in school and how could I help um, in the envi environment that I knew. And so becoming a high school principal is what I, I thought I might do when I get, I got older. And was that, was that desire to go into the education space because of a family member that was in education? Um, no, I love that question. Um, it's mostly that that's where my leadership opportunities kind of bloomed was starting in education and really not until high school, which is why high school principal um, comes to mind. I was really shy. I have a twin sister and thank goodness for that because um, if I didn't have like that security blanket, someone that I always knew was there, if I needed something, I think, um, I wonder if my career journey might have been a little bit different. I think not, but it was nice certainly to grow up with with someone in the back in the background and she was quite shy too and and now as adults we're we're not so that's good hope for those of us that have have shy kids um there's it's interesting it's interesting how you evolve so high school principals and you know i know you went to college for uh communication and business was it an expectation in your household growing up that joy was going to college or was that really up, up to you to decide yeah, um, it's such a great question. And I was from one of those families where no one prior to our generation had went to college. So um, really blessed to have been raised by this amazing mother who I'll have to show this podcast to, um, who was a single mother. Um, and, and, you know, it's, I can't imagine, let me just say that, like when you get sick and you have to take care of your kids and you can barely get out of bed, like there's just so many moments where I think, Thank goodness I have someone can uh, I can lean on. But um, so my mother was a flight attendant and um, a hairstylist and a, and a secretary. And she was a secretary while raising um, us, my twin sister and I, and then our little brother who was born seven years later. And um, so we, we weren't, we were not um, even really, I don't think my mom would have, of course, dissuaded us from going to college, but I think she saw it in us because um, we just had a lot of dreams that we might go on to college. That's interesting. So, so and, and to your point, right? I mean, raising, raising one kid as a single parent is as difficult. Raising three is, is even, even, you know, even harder. What was the, the rationale behind going to school for, for communications and business was, was that, you know, that, that, that doesn't sound like it really aligns to being a high school principal. So I'm going to guess someone gave you some advice that that would be a good path for you. Yeah, I love this question, too, because, you know, there's people that come into our lives at various points. And it was actually my stepmother um, um, who um, founded her own. She was in public relations and then founded her own public relations firm that um, invited me to do a, a PR internship with her. And um, actually, I was really intrigued by organizational development, leadership. How do we find our fire? Uh, how do we together move mountains? And um, so I was in the communication school and she actually went to Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff, Arizona, where I went too. And 
and just thought, you know, we were just excited about communications. And I said, yes, of course, I want to do this internship with you and, and come to Colorado for the summer. Um, and so uh, I did that. And um, anyway, long, long story short, I realized I did not want to move into PR, that that was a lot of sales, like pitching why a client might need an interview on a product launch and things like that. And that was difficult for me. And, and in fact, in that that summer, I decided I wanted to clean her office and organize her office more than making those phone calls. So that's what I ended up doing. And like taking my stepbrother and sister who I adored um, around to their school activities. That's how I could contribute to my stepmom's career and help with my internship. So I learned right away that that was not for me. And that's why internships are great too, to experiment um, with what you might want to do or what you might not want to do. And I actually went into it thinking, this sounds pretty cool. And I think I could do that. I liked writing and press releases and, you know, dumbing down concepts that might be hard for people to understand. But I realized PR was not, was not the perfect place. You bring up a great point. I love the, I love the comment you make about doing the internship. You didn't look at it as a failure because you, you didn't like PR, you actually looked at it as, as, as a positive because you realized, hey, I don't want to do this. And that's the point of internships is you figure out what you like and what you don't like. And is this what I want to go in my career? And the answer was no. So I think that's I think that's great advice. So you, so you didn't like doing PR. You you ended up graduating with, with, a deg- with, a, with a degree in communications and business. What was the plan when you were done with school? Now that you realize PR wasn't for you, like what was what did you think was gonna be that next step after college? Yeah, I mean, I dreamt of doing things like you do, Nick, like organizational development and helping leaders find their way. And, you know, that was sort of tangible to me. Um, Not that it wouldn't potentially lead back to a career in education, but I knew I wanted to explore that first. Um, And so I dreamt of those things. And of course, it's you probably, Nick, in your career, like, you know, you don't, maybe you did uh, just sort of land in the job that you always wanted, or in the department that would take you to that, that job. Um, for me, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And luckily my university had like many uh, uh, job placement fairs and things like that. And there were two jobs that I applied for and two offers, Um, you know, then it wasn't as hard as it is for young people right now to to receive offers. Um, Very little salary, I remember. I mean, it was a lot for me, but like looking back, I'm like, I don't know if those were so exciting, but um, it was, working at a department store um, in like this this buyer management position, which sounded really intriguing and kind of fun for a young girl. And then Cigna, um, Cigna Healthcare. And I had the good fortune of growing up at Cigna um, in, in Arizona. They have what's called a staff model where the doctors are employed by the insurance company and the name is on the building and you go and it's a one-stop shop. And we grew up our whole lives in a Cigna, a Cigna healthcare delivery system. And um, our, our pediatrician's name was Dr. Beanstalk. Like everything was just really great about that experience. So I was intrigued by that. Um, and also they paid just like a thousand dollars more than the other job at the time. And it was right down the street from my parents. So that's the job that I went with and, you know, the doors opened from there, um, and lots of opportunities existed because I took that job. And what was the actual? What was that actual first job that you took? Like, what were you actually doing? Yeah, um, that's great. It, it was actually, you know, I was very lucky that 
Cigna at the time was recruiting from the three universities in Arizona um, for management trainee positions, which we don't see often anymore is what I understand, which I think is unfortunate. Um, I had an opportunity to rotate in various departments at Cigna, which was another reason why I was a little bit intrigued. I could start, I started in the HR department and I moved to a call center, um, customer service management role, which is scary when you're right out of college and you haven't yes. been a customer service agent before. Um, and it, I went into a, another role within the sales employer service department. Um, and and really, I was grateful for the rotations and the experience to really learn the business quickly. It's a great question. Yeah, that, that's another thing that I think I'm, I'm glad you bring that up because that's another thing that I always try to stress to like early career individuals that try as many things as you can when you're early on, right? Because to, you know, to your point, you had these rotations where you could try all these different things, and as you get further on in your career and you get more tenure, it's harder to do those short little you know trials uh, in, in different jobs. So I think that's great advice. You mentioned that you mentioned a lot of different reasons why you ended up taking this job over the other job that you had offered, but I want to I want to just ask you know real quick about the the idea of working in healthcare, right? And this idea of the you know working in a in an industry that really is about people was is was that something that you really gave a lot of thought of it, like wow this could be really fulfilling or was that just kind of something that eventually you, you learned as you went that, wow, like I really do change lives. Like how, how, how did you kind of think about that when you took the job? Yeah, I was naive. I think that um, <laughs> I, I, my dad, um, my dad in Colorado, the step, step, my stepmom um, with my stepmom in the internship just said like, that is such a great field. It's always going to be stable, which, you know, we know now with COVID, it might be the first time where some of that has changed just slightly. Um, but um, I didn't think about the rewards that would come because I didn't really know what would happen if you weren't a frontline line healthcare provider. Right. And so it was very abstract to me. Um, now I wouldn't change it for the world. And I love working for, I loved working for, I should say, um, a Fortune, I think at 1.50, maybe still a Fortune 50 company, but a large, my point is a very large company where you do have an opportunity to stay within one company and really learn the business and the field, that was so incredibly rewarding. Um, and I think our healthcare delivery system is is so complex. It's hard to think about, boy, can I make a difference? And to your point, Nick, in my one little role, um, and uh, I I think depending on the role that that's true, um, but it's mostly the engine that can or cannot, in my mind, sort of make a difference. And being a cog, it's sometimes hard to to understand your way. But I think, regardless of of where you land and what career field, you can always make a difference as an individual. Um, and and I certainly had an opportunity to do that at Cigna, and I was lucky that Cigna gave me um, leeway. And also, I found the roles where I could kind of design my uh, my ability to impact lives in a really productive way. Yeah, you bring up another really, I think, awesome point that I think a lot of people sometimes are afraid to work at a large company because they they're they almost think they're they're not going to make a difference, right? Or they're going to kind of get lost. But I think to your you 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 gave some valid reasons on why you thought you did make a difference, and actually the fact that the company was so big over your twenty I think it was twenty twenty four or twenty five year career, you had 
various roles and you didn't have to leave the company to do the, to get that different experience because it was just so many opportunities within the company, which I think is really interesting. You, you ended up eventually leaving Arizona and, and, and moving farther west, right, to California. What was, when you made, I, I want to talk about that decision to, to leave Arizona and to leave that, that part of your career and actually go to California. Was that a, was that a hard decision to, like, what, did, you, did you move to California for a job? Did you move to California for family? What was the reason for the move and how yeah. did that impact your, 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 career, your career trajectory? Yeah, it's such a great question. Um, I probably, I was so shy, as I mentioned earlier, I probably would not have left Arizona had it not been for a boyfriend um, and a fiance um, who, who um, worked in Los Angeles at the time for the Los Angeles Dodgers and couldn't come back in PR actually, really interesting. Um, and, you know, really wasn't um, on a trajectory to come back to Arizona at any point. Um, and it's funny, he, he, uh, our marriage didn't, didn't last. Nick, we talked about, are any, are any of these things off limit limits and it's, and they're not because life is hard. Right. Um, but I, I give that relationship a lot of credit for the doors that it opened for me, um, to get out West, as you mentioned, out to California and, um, really have more doors, uh, opportunities to walk through those doors than I, I probably would have in, in, uh, Cal or in, in, in Phoenix, in Arizona, excuse me, in California, there's been um, great doors that have opened to, uh, to me because of that relationship. So I moved out here for that. We, we were married here and and I stayed and and, and he moved on um, and back to Arizona actually and then other places. Uh, but I'm, I'm here and, and remarried and started my family. And, um, you know, just, I guess I, I think that's an important point too, is from a career and family perspective is, Sometimes the journey is not what you um, expect, and there may be a reason why, um, you know, what you might think is a blip and a hardship um, happened because more great opportunities are coming your way. And so, and I appreciate you sharing that because that's not an easy thing to share for people. Was did you do the same job in Arizona as in California, or when you made the transition, did you actually switch into a different role? Yeah, I did switch into a different role. Um, and it actually was not a role that I, I would have signed up for, honestly. I, I interviewed for two different roles, and one was in a sales department, um, which I mentioned I didn't like sales and PR, uh, but this was sort of sales service work and interacting with clients on the back end when something sold, which I I think I, I could have done fairly well. Interestingly, because of some kind of a personality test, um, Nick, which I know we do in leadership, I was determined not to be a good fit for that role. And instead I um, was hired and in, this is interesting too. I was hired for an underwriting role, which is um, financial in nature and uh, providing quotes to businesses that might want to um, come to Cigna on what it would cost them. Um, and this is not something that I would have ever considered, but interestingly, the HR manager at the time um, said, you are the perfect fit for our culture. And he was really about culture. And uh, it was actually a really phenomenal um, couple of years for me because it's there that I learned that I had a love for regulatory compliance work. And I always had this intrigue for politics and legislation and things like, like that. Um, and it gave me some opportunity to dig into regulatory compliance and the underwriting department didn't really have a person managing like yeah, you, you can't quote that benefit 
in our underwriting role because it's not allowed in California and Arizona, et cetera, but you can quote this one. And so it did open this world for me. Um, and so again, not exactly what I would have picked, but I think my journey changed and it did open different doors for me because I had that experience uh, versus if I had gone into sales. And I, I don't, you know, I, you don't often hear people say that they really get excited about regulatory compliance. So <laughs> we got yeah. to make sure we, we kind of caveat that because it's super complicated, uh, you know, regulatory compliance and it, and it, to your point, it's political as well, right? Because every single state is a little bit different and there's, there's a lot goes into it. You ended up being a compliance manager at, at Cigna, which was obviously very, you know, very, very, um, regulatory and compliance, uh, focused. Do you, do you credit that risk, that underwriting job that you didn't even really think you were going to take as kind of like leading to that role? Yeah, um, it did lead to that role. And I knew I wanted, I started in Orange County, if folks know California, quite um, a distance away from um, Los Angeles, where I wanted to ultimately be. And I was able to take um, a job in regulatory compliance in Los Angeles. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I think so much of it is luck and timing. And that happened to be the case. And I interviewed with someone that I uh, was close to uh, at, at Cigna for a very long time, Bill Jamison, who um, anyone at Cigna listening will remember Bill and know Bill, who um, just, it felt like such a great fit for me. Um, and and so it, it wasn't necessarily the underwriting job, which I kind of hinted at. I think it gave me the confidence to know that I could do it and I had something to give um, and the experience but um, it was mostly that the timing worked out and I applied for that job and, and got it. So you mentioned that you have a 12 year old, which 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 would you put that around 2008. At what point did you take this compliance role? Yeah, he was just born and he just had walked in by the way. And, and I was hinting like, go, go, go. Um, the door is still open. So I might get up here in a moment and shut it. Um, but he was not born yet. Um, so I was still, um, um, I'm married to my ex-husband at that point, and um, and he was born. My I was remarried. Oh goodness, three or four years later, and my son was born three or four years after that. And and you know, I, so this is an interesting time because you 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 have your you have your son, you have a new job. At this point, Joy was this whole idea of twenty twenty mom in your head as something that you wanted to do was was maternal mental health something that was on your radar at this point like being pregnant and and working in the healthcare space or did something happen that all of a sudden you know kind of opened your eyes to this because i, I want to try to you know help paint the picture for the uh, for the audience yeah yeah um something happened and that's usually what leads us down these paths, right. To, um, to think about new opportunities. Um, and it was, it was four, I say four worlds. Sometimes I say three worlds collided, but really I had four different things happening in my life at the time. Um, when I knew that I was meant to maybe be at Cigna for a while because I was learning so much, but also to do something else. Um, and that was, I am going to shut the store. Hold on just a minute, Nick, because my dog just came in <laughs> and my son left. Um, 
so um, I, I had been at Cigna for several years and, um, and uh, I was volunteering for an organization called the Junior League. And this was also something that I'd encourage, especially your young listeners or those who are working with young people to, to really think about volunteer opportunities in the community, because it certainly opened, it was the start of what opened doors for me in a, in a very significant way. And I had several people keep saying like, you should check out the Junior League. And it was like two people um, after the second person, someone at Cigna said it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go figure out where do I go to a meeting and, and check it out. And so I'd been volunteering with with the Junior League and just loved it. It filled a void for me. I did things in student student council and high school and other things I hinted at um, and had not really found my place um, after graduation. And um, that volunteer work led to some policy work, which I mentioned I was always intrigued in, with. So I, I had an opportunity to dapple with policy in the Junior League. Um, and I also had just become pregnant with my own son, um, Alex, who walked in here just a moment ago. Um, and the, the, the final thing is that I had um, a little brother. I mentioned that I have a twin sister and a little brother. And um, sadly, he struggled with mental illness um, much of his life. And very early, we knew he had social anxiety. Uh, he would cry when my mom would drop him off at preschool, um, and it wouldn't stop, right? We, we know often um, separation anxiety is real, um, but a couple years he would cry and he'd cry all day. I mean, it's a real um, struggle that we couldn't quite put our finger on um, as a family. And um, he had um, tragically, uh, after my real interest in trying to help him navigate the healthcare system, um, it was uh, it was on February 13th. I was new to this role, Nick, in the legal department at Cigna in Los Angeles in the Glendale office and was away on a trip to Colorado with my family and um, and my little brother took his life. And so I knew that um, this work um, that I, I was in a position to understand the complex health delivery system, I just had my own son and and barely barely got out of um, a deep dark depression meaning I didn't fall into a deep dark depression I had help from my husband and I think a little bit of self-awareness that something was wrong and the ability to get help which not all moms do and so I um I walked the line, but never fell into the trenches of depression, um, but did have a prior episode of depression. So I knew what it felt like. And so my worlds collided a bit here in that um, at the Junior League, there was an article, Nick, that you read um, that a young uh, Olympic athlete actually wrote about losing her twin sister to postpartum depression. Now we know it's postpartum psychosis. I mentioned there's a range of disorders and psychosis um, is different than depression, but she took her own life. And um, it was all of these circles that converged for me. And I thought if it's not me that goes deep here, um, then, then who will go deep? Yeah, and I, you know, first I wanna say, I'm, I'm sorry for the loss of your brother. I'm sure that's still hard to this day, even though it was quite some time ago. And, you know, I think for a lot of people listening, 
they've not experienced something like that. So, you know, I can't, I can't imagine um, how that affected your family, but I, I, I do love how you turned the darkness into, you know, the ability to help, right. With, with, with your initiative. And, you know, I think what I think is striking for this is that what you're now doing today in your role was, you know, as, as your full-time position was all, you know, kind of started by these experiences that you had, right. And, and your volunteer experience and your, your love for the healthcare system and your, your, you know, ideas to help with policy issues. And then your own personal experience of, of, you know, having, having depression after uh, your son was born. Did you know, you know, at that point, Joy, what this would turn into and, and a vision of where you wanted to go and what mom 2020 would be? Or was it, you knew you, you knew you had to do something. You just didn't know what it was. Yeah. Well, the great thing about volunteering um, in the Junior League was that it was this young woman who read the article in Glamour magazine about the Olympic athlete who submitted an idea for a law. And she said, I think hospitals should provide information at discharge to families about these disorders and where to find help. Um, and I was in the, something called the State Public Affairs Committee within the Junior League um, in California at that time and got to take this idea from the Los Angeles Junior League. There were 17 Junior Leagues in the state um, and take it to the State Policy Committee to look at all the idea submissions. And everyone loved this idea that, boy, we're not doing enough around mental health and for, for women. Um, and so it was that idea that ended up being submitted to become a law. And it was at the height of um, a budget crisis. And um, there was concern that hospitals, and we're in another one of those now too, um, hospitals really couldn't afford to do more work at this point. And instead, we should turn that law into an awareness resolution declaring the month of May, Maternal Mental Health Awareness Month. And it was um, the legislature that tucked in that awareness resolution, this idea that volunteers should form a task force. And that's when I knew, um, Nick, thank you for connecting the dots that boy, if it's not me, then then who is it? And I, I honestly, I felt like it should be a doctor or it should be a clinician, somebody that was like qualified and knew about mental health in a deeper way than I did. Um, but what, what was really needed was someone who could convene multiple people. And um, I felt just bold enough to be able to do that nervous, but but bold enough to to do it and give it a try. And one thing led to another. And um, we ended up forming the nonprofit um, 2020 mom. And that was in 2011, correct? That was That's nine years true. ago. Because you just yeah, had your ninth birthday. Different then. And we focused only on California um, and realized shortly thereafter that these platforms for change that we were identifying were were intriguing to others, not just those who are in California. So hospitals, insurers, and policymakers, like what can we really do here? So this is this is a great example of the power of volunteering and philanthropy and how giving back to your community can not only help, right, but also change your life and, and your career at the same time. So so you started you started 2020 Mom in 2011. You're you're working at Cigna full time. You're starting a family. You're doing all these things. I don't know how you do all these things at once, right? Well, that, that's a, that's a, that's, that could be a whole other podcast of how, how you manage your time, Joy, right? Um, but at what point, you know, as you kind of continue your career at Cigna, you're raising your family, 
you're volunteering with, with your nonprofit. At what point did you get the sense that you needed to do this full time? Right. And I asked that because you've been doing this for nine years now, and you might not have thought about that when you, when you created this, right? Like, Hey, I'm going to one day quit my job and, and do this full time. But at what point did you think I need to do this? I need to do this all the time. Like I need to leave my, my job. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. And it was actually sooner than you might think. Um, you know, we knew that there was a lot of work to be done very early on. Um, once we formed 2020 mom and my struggle was that, um, it was very much an underfunded field or topic area. Uh, and just recently, um, because of the work of 2020 mom and, and several other organizations, one that's been around for quite some time, you know, finally this issue of maternal mental health has gained some traction in part because there's a real clear link with linkage to child um, development now um, and strong mothers providing, providing a foundation for um, strong children, right? Which just seems like a slam dunk for those of us that are moms. Of course, that that's true. Um, but many of the funders are um, those that provide um, philanthropy dollars to nonprofits, uh, are are now investing in maternal mental health when they haven't before, um, and it was really nine. It took nine years to to um, get to be. I, I think very lucky in that um, a, a big a, a big funder um, from Washington State, and I think it's safe to to mention this funder because they deserve a lot of credit. Um, are really helping several other organizations, not just Twenty Twenty Mom to um, go deep and to become what I say, become whole, because I did this work full time unpaid and I was able to do it for nine years because Cigna gave me flexibility um, in my schedule and I was able to work at home. Um, and so much kudos to Cigna to be, you know, I was able to juggle all that I could because of my flexible schedule. Um, but the Perigee Fund ended up investing in 2020 Mom um, uh, just a few months ago, right before COVID hit, and I was able to to step back, and we say we were able to, to really become whole and catch our breath and continue to do the work that we were, were doing, um, particularly around federal policy to change the landscape. So, and that, and that you know, congratulations! I think it's it's probably a dream of a lot of people to to actually take their nonprofit and and do it full time. But I, I have to ask the question: you know, you're you're working for and we're actually a Fortune 15 company now. 15, um, thank you. Yeah, 15. W were you scared to leave your world of you know 20 plus years at Cigna and everything that you knew and where you grew up and where you were obviously successful and 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 had friends and colleagues and you know just you built this life and this career? Were you were you afraid to leave and go off on your own? It's funny, I wasn't afraid to leave. I mean, I was nervous about leaving them with work that would be hard to, um, um, you know, I, I felt this obligation to finish everything, which of course I couldn't finish. Right. Um, um, but I mean, it's certainly Cigna is still very much a part of my family. I'm texting people just yesterday and my former boss and several former bosses. And so it's become certainly was a family for me. It wasn't scared because I, I, actually um, built this team around me, um, even though I wasn't drawing a salary, the money that we were able to raise, um, I was able to bring on other moms who um, suffered from mental health disorders, most of them, um, to support the work. And so um, for me, it was really an opportunity just to, to catch my breath and 
and get to be with them. And we hoped to really propel the work. And of course, with COVID um, striking, um, it's we haven't been able to propel yet for various reasons, but, um, but we know we're going to get there. So yeah, I, I miss them. It's my family and it wasn't scared. It was, it was, it was sad and grateful. And I had the most wonderful virtual going away party is an incredible um, family for me at Cigna. So mostly sad, I would say, and celebratory that I got to create this chapter with them. What, what, what do you say to people that, because I think a lot of people, Joy, actually wouldn't do what you did. I think a lot of people wouldn't leave the stability of a, of a, a job they know and a career they know and a company they know out of out of fear and 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 the unknown and and i mean you know i know that you mentioned that you've gotten um you know a lot of support from a financial perspective for your nonprofit, but i mean I th i'm sure you know you and your family sat down and said look this this obviously there's risk here right there's risk leaving the position you were in and and going to work for your nonprofit. What what's your advice to people out there that are maybe thinking and look it doesn't have to be it could be any career change, right? It could be, you know, going from one job to another, or it could be leaving to take care of a family member or leaving to go to another company. What's your advice for people when they're thinking about like, why should I, or shouldn't I do this? <clears throat> well, I have to admit that um, my husband is our rock that keeps our family stable. I'm the dreamer. So I had dreamed of, of leaving um, Cigna to really go deep with 2020 mom, um, even without a stable salary. And he would always walk me back um, and say, let's wait. Like, you know, if you have this solid foundation that you're building, you know, it's going to come. And he was right. So um, it wasn't scary to me. And I don't think it was scary to my husband at all either, because we really were in a place financially because of this funder to get to pay for um, benefits and, salary for three years. Um, it doesn't mean that in three years, we might not be like searching for um, that funder again, and whether um, that funder will be there. Uh, I have high hopes for the nonprofit space, by the way. So I think the funder will be there um, for us and, and we'll be able to prove. Um, and so will the others be able to prove that this is a great investment. Um, but that that was why it was my rock that kept me from leaving. So he, that would be a great question for Mark, my husband, who's in the other room. Like you, you finally felt okay. And I think he'd say, because I knew, I knew it was after nine years and I knew that we would, you know, she would succeed, especially with this funding for three years. Well, I think, I think it's, I think, so I think it's a great point how important your family was in the decision, but also that, you know, I don't want, I don't want to overlook this, that nine years is a good amount of time. That's a huge investment. Right. And I think a lot of people enjoy you and I, or we're we're uh, we're not millennials or Gen Z. I will put it that way, right? We are Gen yeah. X. So um, the younger generations, I think, at times are, are used to getting things very quickly, right? Because they've had access to technology their whole life, and you spent nine years building something before you went and did it. That is that is a huge commitment, and it is not overnight. So I think it shows your, your dedication to the cause and 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 you know the amount of people you were trying to help and support with what you're with what what you're doing. So I think that's awesome. So I want, I want to just, last thing I want to ask is, um, so your last day at work, your, your last day at Cigna, you've been there, I think it was almost 25 years. Um, do you remember your first day? And 
how 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 uh, how different was that from your last? Like, what was mm -hmm. what was what did you remember about your first, and what is the big memory of your last day? Because I think those are obviously two milestone moments for you. Yeah, I love that question. Um, I mean, I'll just I'll I'll, I'll leave the word um, community. Like, I found friendships my first day with those that started in the in the management trainee program that I'm still in touch with with those people. Um, was friends and uh, and the community that I built uh, or surrounded me. I didn't build it. Um, that surrounded me. That I was lucky to be a good good part of. Um, like the just the the support. I guess I guess that's that's what I'd say, Nick. Is that it takes um, a village, right? It takes a village to build a career and um, to open doors. And that I was really lucky that I had these amazing people around me. And, and, and the last thing I'll share is um, this stuff is not hard. Like this may sound like dreamy and, you know, wor working hard is all you need to do. It, there are so many hiccups and, and um, sleepless nights and so many struggles. And so um, I just, and I especially want non-Gen Z, I mean, I want Gen Z and millennials um, non-Gen Xers and above um, to know that this is hard work and it takes resilience and you're going to get punched down and you're going to get back up again. And that's just what it takes. If you want to have a career um, starting a nonprofit in, in particular um, or a 25 year career at any company, like there are twists and turns and hard moments and it gets better there are always doors that open and and you can choose to go through them and find your village and and know that um you don't have to be perfect is one thing i i mentioned in, in a, a post that we put up on linkedin today that you don't have to be perfect to do good and find a great career that's not the expectation and i i, I fear that kids and and those who are entering careers now feel like they won't be worthy enough unless they're perfect. And, and that's not the case. Um, you don't have to be perfect. Just just keep trying, getting back up and rolling up your sleeves and wanting to do good. Yeah, no, I, I think that's well said. And before I get to my last question that I that I close with about your advice for, for some people, I wanna just, just mention, so it's 2020mom.org. That's the, your website where you can learn all about, you know, the, the nonprofit and what, what your your organization is doing. I just want to re reiterate how important this whole topic of mental health is. So, I mean, we're all living through COVID together. Mental health is a huge topic for people. I think now more than ever, because a lot of people are now realizing joy that, wow, like this is really something that we don't talk about a lot. And there is a huge stigma around mental health. And, you know, I love that you've, you've, you're focusing on mental health and your focus on this specific need around maternal mental health, I think is, is, is just fantastic. And I, I, I you know, you can, uh, people can read all about, you know, a lot of the work that your organization's done on uh, on your website. But do you want to just highlight a couple things that, that your organization has done to help with mental health for, for, for mothers that, you know, maybe that you're really proud of that you want to share? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Nick, um, for asking that question. And and um, you're spot on that now more than ever, um, people should not be shy and, you know, find a friend to talk to if you're struggling or, you know, someone else is struggling ask them about it and be open to learning more. Um, at least 50% of Americans will suffer from a mental health disorder once in their lifetime. That was prior, at least once um, prior to COVID. 
those numbers are going to like all of us are going to have a blip um, mm-hmm. and we get treatment right away so that it doesn't become more serious and chronic. Um, so what I love about maternal mental health, though, is that there's a medical onset. So right. Um, and so we get to be a bridge. This cause gets to be a bridge to fixing the larger health delivery system, because if we can fix it with medical onset in an OBGYN's office or a family practice um, office or even pediatrician's office by talking to a mom, um, then we have ability to think about how do we scale that those fixes into the larger mental health system, which is what gets me most excited. Um, moms, again, stopping the bleeding. We have to we have to start with moms and kids. Um, but we have an opportunity to to really fix this for the larger population. Um, we passed a law several years ago here in California that we're helping to replicate through other organizations um, nationwide to require that um, those treating mothers screen for maternal depression and anxiety. Um, and we have seen what, what was so exciting once that law passed, just uh, it was effective July last two years ago. I remember going into my doctor's office down the street here. And when we came to the, the desk to sign in, they gave us a survey. They gave me a survey to fill out about mental health. And so we knew that um, because they don't know who's pregnant necessarily or who's yeah. postpartum, you can't tell by looking, that survey and that questionnaire um, the depression questionnaire went to every everyone and we've heard that this is the case you know across the state and they call it the curb cut effect if you do work in social change it means you're working with one population but you get to see benefits spill in to the others it's like cutting um cutting curbs on sidewalks for those who might um, be in a wheelchair to be able to cross the street and there's benefits to all of society, right? Because we can push strollers, moms is a great example, kids can ride bikes. So um, that was a great curb cut uh, moment for us um, at 2020 Mom. And there's other great examples, but that one really um, stands out to me to share tonight. That That's that's really cool. And, you know, you know, it would be, it'd be awesome if you could maybe eventually get to the point where not only do, you know, moms and, and women get asked that question, but we, I've always dreamed of having mental health, you know, a physical for mental health every year for individuals, right? Because we do, we have physicals for our physical health. And I mean, and you know, right? we get asked some questions asked about mental health, but it's not super in depth, like like physical health. And I think is if we can keep trying to overcome the stigma of mental health that people have, I think we'll eventually, you know, with organizations like yours, make such a huge impact. So I love that example. All right, so last question, and then I'll, I'll, I'll uh, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get you out of here. I always close with the same question with every guest. What is the one piece of advice, Joy, that you would share with my listeners and my audience that's helped you reach your full potential? So what is that one thing that's helped you be so successful in your corporate career and in your nonprofit career? I would say explore the word creativity and, and think about, pause and think about doors that are opening for you. And so I think what what has made my life different than um, perhaps some others who might be even more positioned, better positioned to do this great work than I, right? I'm not perfect, but I would start to see these possibilities. Like, boy, if if this were to change, then that would change the system. And that comes from this sort of mindset of creativity. And I know people say, well, I'm not a creative person. I don't draw. I don't like play instruments. And um, 
I did some of that stuff as a kid, but not a lot. It's more about pausing and taking it in. Um, if you have a sleepless night, like what are those thoughts that are coming to you? Write them down. Um, uh, better yet, like hopefully you don't have sleepless nights. You go on a walk and you think about, um, you know, connecting dots. What are What is your brain trying to tell you? Um, and I would say hone in on those messages. For me, I think that's what set my career journey apart. I think we all might have some of these experiences, not hopefully a tragedy, um, but but still, I, I think I might have followed this path perhaps anyway, even without a tragedy, um, because these doors were opening for me and I connected dots and knew I needed to walk through certain doors. I think that's great advice. And, you know, Joy, you truly are an inspiration. I really appreciate you making time and I know you have the, your family and your nonprofit. So um, th thank you. Say hi to the dog for us behind you. But it was great having you on the show. Some great advice. Uh, I think people will love to hear your story about your career journey. Again, we're going to link to your LinkedIn profile in the show description. So if anyone wants to connect with Joy, you can you can uh, follow her on LinkedIn. And then we'll also link to 2020mom.org so people can learn more about your organization, Joy. And again, I just, I just want to say thank you for uh, the, the fantastic discussion tonight and making time for us. Great, Nick. I, I appreciate that too. And if I can leave one last word that we shared with some of our listeners tonight, that um, the year 2020 has not been a good one. Um, and that 2020 going forward will mean vision for moms and a vision forward, not the year 2020. We made it this far. We laid great groundwork and are ready to move forward with great vision for, for mothers and mental health. Nick, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And I'd love Absolutely. to stay connected with any of your listeners and help them with their career journeys as well. Thank you, Joy. Stay safe and be well. We'll talk soon. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Full Potential Podcast. If you'd like to hear more interviews, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. You can also connect with us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to check out our website, fullpotentialmovement.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing and be well.